Hey guys, it's me, Overreactor, and we are here for episode four of Official Timeout, wherein we will discuss section two of the WFTDA rulebook and the casebook scenarios associated with each part of section two. We'll get through as much of it as we can, and if we need to continue it into another episode, we will, but let's, uh, we'll find out. First, I would like to thank all of you for the amazing feedback and support you've given me. It's really fun and I'm having a great time. The word is spreading and hopefully people are getting a lot out of it because it's really fun. And I really want to thank all of you who have subscribed and liked or shared or reviewed this podcast. Or And I want to thank those of you who have sponsored this podcast. That's really, really sweet of you. And I super appreciate it. That helps out a lot. And you guys are really amazing. And for any of you who are just finding out about this, please share it with your league and, you know, uh, help spread the word or go give it a star two or five and a little comment or something. And that would really help get the word out as well. Thank you guys in advance for doing that. I mean, let's face it, we all want everybody else to be really good at the rules because the more everyone knows about the rules and the better everyone is, that means that this sport will get even better. Yeah. Also, I got a really fun comment on my Instagram page. A user named a peach named Georgia said that the illustrations and animations make learning these things a million percent more enjoyable and... Thank you so much for saying that. Okay, let us now dive into section two of the WFTDA rulebook. And if you are one of the people that likes to read along as we go, you can find these at WFTDA.com. Or if you Google search WFTDA rules and casebook, you'll find it. I'm confident in your Google search abilities. Okay, here we go. All right, section two, gameplay. 2.1, the track. The track must conform to the standardized dimensions of the WFTDA track specifications. The track must be flat, clean, and suitable for roller skating. The track must be marked by a boundary that stands in high contrast to the floor. The boundary counts as part of the track. The boundary is inbounds and may not vary in width around the track. The track boundary, the pivot line, and the jammer line may be of any pattern or color so long as they clearly mark the edge of the track. Near the track, an area must be marked out for each team, the team bench area, and for the penalty box. The boundary in these cases must also be high contrast and counts as part of the relevant area. For example, the boundary for the penalty box counts as part of the penalty box. Only skaters who are actively serving a penalty may enter the penalty box area. Why would you want to go in there if you're not serving a penalty? There is an image associated with the track, which is figure 2.1 of the track, and I will post a picture of that as well on the Instagram when this episode airs. So now we're going to look at the casebook, but guess what? Section 2.1 of the track has no casebook scenarios associated with it. Bada bing, let's move on. Section 2.2, positions. 
For each jam, a team must field one jammer and, at most, four blockers. One of these blockers may be designated as the pivot blocker. Any skaters who are not completely on the track at the jam starting whistle may not participate in the jam and thus do not count toward these limits. Skaters serving penalties in or on their way to the penalty box are counted toward these limits. Teams must field at least one blocker who is not serving a penalty. Skaters may not change positions during a jam, except in the case of a star pass, see below, which we'll get to. When a jam begins, the jammers must be touching on or behind the jammer line. All blockers must be behind the pivot line, ahead of the jammer line, and all non-pivot blockers must not be touching the pivot line. If either pivot is positioned touching the pivot line at the jam's start, all non-pivot blockers must be behind that pivot's hips. Any skaters who are completely on the track but partially illegally positioned, for example, if a jammer is touching past the jammer line, they are required to yield their position to all other skaters in the immediate vicinity. Any skaters who are wholly illegally positioned are immediately penalized. Blockers who are required to yield are not considered for pack definition until they have done so. Jammers who are required to yield cannot earn passes until they have done so. So now there are casebook scenarios associated with section 2.2 positions. Here is scenario C2.2.A, and these letters stand for casebook, that's what the C is, and then 2.2 is in reference to the section of the rules, and then point A means this is the first of the scenarios. So scenario C2.2.A. As the jam starting whistle sounds, Red Jammer's left skate has rolled forward past the jammer line. The outcome, the Red Jammer is issued a false start warning and must yield their position to all skaters in their immediate vicinity. If they do not yield, they will receive a penalty. The rationale for this is that the Red Jammer established their starting position partially out of position with one skate ahead of the jammer line. Keep in mind, until they have been issued this warning, they cannot be penalized for failure to yield. Scenario C2.2.B as the jam starting whistle sounds, the white pivot has lined up entirely in front of the pivot line. What do you guys think is going to happen here? The white pivot immediately receives a penalty for illegal positioning. The rationale for this is the white pivot was entirely out of position, having both skates ahead of the pivot line. They are immediately penalized rather than warned and allowed to yield because this is a flagrant violation of the rules regarding starting positions. All right, pivots, you can touch the line. That's fine. Do not line up in front of the pivot line. That is a flagrant violation. Moving on. Scenario C2.2.C. As the jam starting whistle sounds, white blocker is out of bounds on the inside of the track. Outcome. White blocker is directed to return to their bench and cannot participate in the jam. The reason why is because the white blocker was not on the track at the start of the jam and cannot participate in that jam. Keep in mind, even if white blocker were straddling, they would still be considered out of bounds, thus not on the track, thus not allowed to participate in the the jam. You can't start a jam in the middle of the track. That's where the referees go and that's where the non-skating officials go. That's not where blockers and jammers are supposed to line up. We talked about this. <laughs> um, okay, 
Uh, Casebook scenario C2.2.D. All white blockers, including white pivot, line up legally between jams at the pivot line, but not touching the line. Red pivot lines up behind them immediately before the jam starts. The red pivot reaches forward with their leg and places their skate on the pivot line. Ooh, what might happen here? I'll tell you. The white non-pivot blockers should all be issued false start warnings and must yield their positions to all nearby skaters. Any who do not yield should receive a penalty. The reason for this is that the red pivot established their position in contact with the pivot line before the beginning of the jam. So non-pivot blockers must begin the jam behind the hips of any pivots in contact with the pivot line. As white non-pivot blockers began the jam in front of the red pivot, they are partially illegal legally positioned so all but the white pivot are required to yield it's very interesting to see this one in gameplay I've, I've only seen it a couple of times where the pivot will use this to their advantage by placing their skate on the line and then leaning like way back like you're doing one of those crazy lunges and and that forces everyone back except for the pivot of the opposing team it's 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 interesting to see okay casebook scenario c2.2.e e. in an attempt to reach the track before the jam begins red blocker jumps from out of bounds the jam starting whistle blows while they are still airborne red blocker lands inbounds and upright after the jam begins the outcome is that red blocker attempted to enter the track from an out of bounds state and was still airborne at the start of the jam they should be ordered back to their bench and may not participate in the jam the reason for this is that while airborne a skater retains the attributes of their previous status the red blocker's previous status was out of bounds and as such they remain out of bounds while airborne. Red blocker was not on the track when the jam began. Sorry, go back to your bench. Okay, two more for this one. Casebook scenarios C2.2.F. White pivot is seated in the penalty box. Between jams, three white blockers, one of whom is wearing a stripe, line up on the track. The outcome. If the jam starts with two white skaters wearing the stripes, the officials should direct the white blocker on the track to remove their stripe. The rationale is that the skater seated in the box is considered to be the white pivot for the jam. As the white team fielded the correct number of blockers, there is no need to send the extra white pivot back to their bench. And extra is like in quotations. So there's no need to send the extra white pivot back to their bench. Keep in mind though, if the white blocker refuses to remove the stripe, that white blocker should be penalized. Refusal to obey an instruction about improper gameplay is insubordinate. Also keep in mind if the white blocker engages in any privileges reserved for the pivot before they have removed their stripe, even if no warning has yet been issued, that white blocker should be penalized as their illegal stripe had an impact on the game. Finally, for this one, C2.2.G, as the jam starting whistle sounds, Red Pivot's left skate has rolled backwards behind the jammer line. Red Pivot is issued a false start warning. Red Pivot disengages from play, attempting to yield to skaters in immediate proximity. No other skaters take advantage of Red Pivot's attempt to yield. The outcome is that Red Pivot is no longer required to yield and may continue to play. The reason for this is that the Red Pivot made a genuine attempt to yield their position, allowing time 
time for skaters in proximity to take advantage, giving skaters in the immediate vicinity a reasonable opportunity to take advantage, even if that opportunity is not exercised. It is enough to relieve the red pivot of their requirement to yield. Okay, so now we're going to go back to the rules, and we're going to move on to section 2.2.1, Jammers. The jammer is denoted as the skater in visible possession of the jammer helmet cover, also known as the star, at the beginning of the jam. If a skater is serving a penalty as their team's jammer, no teammate may begin the jam in possession of the star or behind the jammer line. If there is neither a skater serving a penalty as the jammer nor a skater with a visible star, then the team has failed to field a jammer for the upcoming jam and will be penalized accordingly. Unless they are serving a penalty, the jammer must start the jam on or behind the jammer line. Jammers may be stopped or coasting, but they may not be actively gaining speed in the counterclockwise direction at the jam starting whistle. The star may only be carried by the jammer wearing it on their helmet or by the team's jammer or pivot holding it in their grasp. Other skaters may not control the star and the jammer and the pivot may not hide the star. An example of this would include putting it in a pocket or hiding it in a uniform. The jammer is the only skater who can score points for their team, which we'll find more about in section three. Jammers may also legally exit and remain outside of the engagement zone. Okay, let's take a quick little break, and when we return, we will discuss the casebook scenarios associated with this section. So now we're moving to the casebook again for this section 2.2.1 and casebook scenario C2.2.1A. The red and white skaters repeatedly shift positions between jams, attempting to gain position on one another. As the jam starts, red 3-4 is lined up fully behind the jammer line but is not wearing the star while red 2-7 is lined up fully in front of the jammer line and is wearing the star. The outcome of this is red 2-7 is the jammer. This is because red 2-7 is the skater in possession of the star. The star denotes who the jammer is. Both skaters should receive a penalty for beginning the jam fully out of position. Keep in mind, once the jam starts, the jammer referee should communicate to Red 2-7 that they are the jammer for this jam, since the rules do not accommodate for jammers who forget their helmet covers. Starting position should not take precedence over wearing the star. In this case, both the jammer, Red 2-7, and the blocker, Red 3-4, have started the jam in illegal starting positions. Keep in mind, assume the following jammer hierarchy. 1. The jammer for the upcoming jam is the jammer from the previous jam who is in the penalty box. 2. If no one satisfies 1, the jammer is the skater who visibly controls the star who has lined up in the jam starting position. 3. If no one satisfies 2, the jammer is the skater who visibly controls the star but who has lined up out of position. 4. If no one satisfies 3, there is no jammer for that team in this jam and the jam should not start. Scenario C2.2.1 B. Before the jam starting whistle, Red Jammer skates backwards. They come to a quick stop and sprint forward at the jam starting whistle. The outcome is, if Red Jammer was moving clockwise or stopped when the whistle occurred, nothing should be done. If Red Jammer turned counterclockwise earlier and was gaining speed, this should be treated as a false start. The rationale is jammers may not be gaining speed counterclockwise at the jam starting whistle. All right. 
Now back to the rules. Section 2.2.2, lead jammer. The lead jammer is the first jammer who establishes a superior position to the foremost in-play blocker, having already earned a pass on all blockers, excluding those ahead of the engagement zone. See section 2.5. When one jammer is determined to be the lead jammer, this is indicated by two short whistle blasts. A jammer becomes ineligible to earn lead during a jam if they commit a penalty during that jam, exit the front of the engagement zone without having earned lead, remove their helmet cover, or have their helmet cover removed by a teammate. If both jammers qualify for lead at the same moment, for example, the foremost blocker goes out of play, the foremost jammer at that moment will be declared lead. Only skaters who begin the jam as jammers may become lead. So a pivot who receives the star cannot become lead. The lead jammer will lose their lead jammer status if they commit a penalty, intentionally remove the star once it is on, or have the star intentionally removed from their head by a teammate. The lead jammer is the only skater who may call off a jam before the full two minutes elapse. The lead jammer calls off the jam by repeatedly placing their hands on their hips. I want to clarify that repeatedly means more than once. For all the jammers out there, we're waiting to see at least two times where the hands touch the hips. Once is not repeated. Two or more is repeated. Okay. Casebook scenarios for lead jammer. C2.2.2.A. The red jammer starts the jam with their helmet cover inside out. The stars are not visible with high contrast. They remove the cover invert it, and put it back on their helmet. They then legally pass all skaters, including the foremost blocker. The outcome, the red jammer is declared lead. The rationale, since red jammer did not have the ability to gain lead prior to removing the star from their head, they did not lose that ability. Keep in mind, if the red jammer had removed the star when the stars were visible, they would have lost the ability to gain lead. Scenario C2.2.2.B. The red jammer exits the engagement zone, but does not earn lead jammer. White jammer is knocked down, but not out of bounds. While white jammer is down, the opposing blockers, including the foremost blocker, all skate clockwise behind them. White jammer stands back up. The outcome, white jammer should be declared lead when they stand. By skating clockwise behind the white jammer, the red blockers seeded their position. As such, the white jammer earned those passes and they count toward earning lead. Scenario C2.2.2.C. The white jammer makes their way through the pack on their initial trip while the red jammer remains stuck at the rear. Through numerous blocks and changes in position, white jammer earns a pass on all blockers, but none of them are ever the foremost blocker in the pack when white jammer earns the pass. The outcome is that the jammer referee should not declare white jammer lead yet. The rationale is that white jammer has earned a pass against all blockers, but has never earned superior position to the foremost blocker of the pack. Lead jammer is earned when the jammer has earned a pass on all in-play blockers and established superior position to the foremost in-play blocker. Scenario C2.2.2.D. The red jammer passes all blockers on their initial trip through the pack, except for one white blocker. Red jammer legally pushes white blocker to the front of the engagement zone and then out of play. The outcome is that red jammer is declared lead as soon as white blocker leaves the front of the engagement zone. This is because the red jammer only needs to pass the in-play blockers to earn lead jammer. Scenario C2.2.2.E. 
White Jammer and Red Jammer are both ahead of all blockers except White Pivot. Red Jammer is ahead of White Jammer and pushes White Pivot legally out of the engagement zone. The outcome is that Red Jammer is declared lead. The rationale. At the moment that the white pivot left play, both jammers had passed all in-play blockers. Because Red Jammer was foremost, Red Jammer was declared lead. Scenario C2.2.2.F. Red Jammer passes all blockers on their initial trip through the pack, except white pivot. Due to unrelated gameplay, officials declare a no-pack situation. Red Jammer remains behind White Pivot. The outcome. The Jammer referee should not declare Red Jammer lead yet. Rationale. Although White Pivot is now out of play, no-pack situations are different from out-of-play situations regarding earning passes and gaining position to earn lead Jammer status. During a no-pack situation, a Jammer must still earn passes and may not illegally gain position on skaters while the Jammer is out of bounds. Keep in mind, as White Pivot is currently the foremost blocker, the Red Jammer could earn Lead Jammer status by passing the White Pivot. Also keep in mind, if the pack was reformed and the White Pivot was ahead of the engagement zone, at that point, the Red Jammer would meet the requirements to earn Lead Jammer status. Great, let's move back to the rules and talk about section 2.2.3, the pivot blocker. The pivot is a blocker and is denoted as the skater in possession of the pivot helmet cover, also known as the stripe at the jam starting whistle. The pivot wearing the stripe with the stripe showing has several additional abilities that other blockers do not have. The pivot may become their team's jammer. See section 2.2.4. The pivot may control the star. For example, pick it up or move it or so forth even if they're not the jammer. For example, to recover it and return it to the jammer. Additionally, the pivot may begin a jam while touching the pivot line. When not wearing the stripe with the stripe showing, the pivot is treated as any other blocker. And there are no casebook scenarios for section 2.2.3 pivot blockers, so let's move on to 2.2.4, passing the star. A team's jammer may transfer their position to their team's pivot by successfully completing a legal star pass. A legal star pass requires the jammer to hand the star to their team's pivot while both skaters are upright, inbounds, and in play, and while neither skater is en route to or in Q4, the penalty box. Upon releasing the star into the pivot's grasp, the position of jammer is now transferred to the pivot. The new jammer takes over for the previous jammer in terms of points scored, trips through the pack, and skaters passed. The previous jammer now becomes a non-pivot blocker. If the star is passed illegally, both skaters retain their existing positions. This includes releasing the star into the grasp of a skater other than the pivot, releasing the star into the pivot's grasp while either of the two skaters is down, out of bounds, out of play, or en route to the penalty box. Releasing the star to a pivot's grasp while the pivot is in queue for the penalty box, even if the pivot is not yet en route. Releasing the star into the grasp of a pivot who is not wearing the stripe. You can't be the pivot if you're not wearing the stripe. If the pivot comes into control of the star through an unsuccessful star pass or any other means, for example, by picking up a star that has fallen to the ground, they will be warned that they are not the jammer. Accordingly, the pivot may not put the star on their own helmet, but they may hold the star in their hand, drop it, 
or return it to the jammer. Only the jammer or pivot may recover or control the star. The instigator, nope, the initiator of an illegal star pass or star recovery that impacts the game should be penalized. Okay, and we have a couple of casebook scenarios for passing the star. C2.2.4.A. White jammer removes their helmet cover and directly hands it to a white non-pivot blocker. White jammer releases the helmet cover. White non-pivot blocker immediately drops the helmet cover. The outcome is no penalty. This is because while the white jammer may only pass the star to their pivot, because the white blocker immediately dropped the star, there has been no impact on gameplay. Keep in mind, if the white blocker did not immediately relinquish control of the helmet cover, a penalty would have been issued to the white jammer. Also keep in mind that if white jammer were holding the star and white blocker wrestled it from their grasp, it would have been white blocker who initiated the illegal star pass and thus white blocker would be penalized. Scenario C2.2.4.B. White jammer removes their helmet cover and hands it to white pivot. Before white jammer releases their grip on the star, white pivot is knocked out of bounds. White jammer then releases the star to the out of bounds pivot. Outcome. The star pass is unsuccessful. Both skaters retain their existing positions. No penalty is warranted at this time, but the pivot is warned that they are not the jammer. Rationale. Although the white jammer attempted to pass the star while the white pivot was eligible, a star pass is a single point of exchange, the moment at which the star is released. Since the skater's positions are not affected and it is legal for the pivot to control the helmet cover, there is no impact on gameplay. Keep in mind, also, if, after being warned that they are not the jammer, the pivot puts the star on or fails to remove it, they should be penalized. Scenario C2.2.4.C. White pivot's stripe falls off in normal gameplay. White jammer removes their helmet cover, hands it to white pivot, and then releases the star. The outcome, the star pass is unsuccessful. Both skaters retain their existing positions. No penalty is warranted at this time, but the pivot is instructed to drop the star. The rationale, a pivot who is not visibly wearing the stripe cannot use the privileges of being a pivot, such as receiving a star pass or even recovering at the star after an incomplete star pass. Because the pivot's helmet cover came off due to gameplay, as opposed to the pivot intentionally removing it, they are warned that they are not the pivot and allowed to relinquish control of the star. Keep in mind, once white pivot is aware they are not visibly wearing the stripe, they must immediately relinquish control of the star. Scenario C2.2.4.D. Red 2-1 is the jammer. They remove their helmet cover and throw it at Red 4-5, who is the pivot. Red 4-5, still the pivot, catches the helmet cover and hands it back to Red 2-1, who is still the jammer. Both skaters grip the star, then Red 2-1 releases it. Red 4-5 maintains control of the star and puts it on their helmet. The outcome, Red 4-5 is now the jammer. The rationale, throwing the star is an incomplete star pass, not an illegal one. A star pass cannot be successfully completed by throwing. Catching the star out of the air is equivalent to retrieving it from the floor. The pivot is not required to let the star fall on the track first. Once Red Jammer clutches the helmet cover, they reestablish their control of the star regardless of whether the pivot lets go or not. They then complete the star pass in a legal fashion. 
Scenario C2.2.4.E. While moving through the pack, the star comes off of Red Jammer's helmet and sticks to the Velcro on White Blocker's wrist guard. On White Blocker's wrist guard. White Blocker pulls the helmet cover free and drops it. The outcome, White Blocker is not issued a penalty. The rationale. White Blocker gained temporary possession of the helmet cover and dropped it. Because White Blocker did not intentionally attempt to remove the star from Red Jammer's helmet, they should not be issued a penalty for accidentally coming into control of the star as long as they immediately relinquish control of the star. The star may get moved as part of normal gameplay, but it may not be controlled by anyone other than the jammer or the pivot. Keep in mind, if White Blocker had not touched the star, which was stuck to their wrist guard, and allowed Red Jammer or Pivot to recover it once they were aware of it, similarly, no penalty would be warranted. And, keep in mind, if the White Blocker had pulled the star off their Velcro, but not immediately relinquished control of the star once they removed it from their wrist guard, a penalty would be warranted. Scenario C2.2.4.F. White Jammer legally passes the star to the White Pivot. Later in the jam, the White Pivot turned Jammer receives a penalty and goes to the penalty box. The jam ends and the red team calls an official review. As a result of the review, the original White Jammer receives a penalty for an illegal action they took as a Jammer. The outcome. The additional penalty would be served by the white pivot turned jammer and recorded for the original white jammer. The original white jammer should not be allowed to participate in the game until the time for the penalty they earned has completed. The rationale. White jammer legally passed the star, making white pivot the new jammer, but received a penalty upon review for an action committed while they were the jammer. This would put two different white skaters in the box as a jammer. A penalty is assigned to a skater. The penalty time is assigned to a position, with the skater not allowed to participate until it has been served. In this example, the original white jammer receives the penalty and the current white jammer, former pivot, serves the time. Reverting the current jammer to a pivot or having the original jammer serve the time as a blocker would deprive the red team of earned advantages. Moving back to the rulebook, section 2.2.5, blockers. All other skaters are considered blockers. Non-pivot blockers may not wear helmet covers or have any markings on their helmets that could be confused for a stripe or a star. And there are no scenarios associated for section 2.2.5. All right, so this is where I'm going to end it for today. And we will pick back up next Monday with section 2.3, the engagement zone and pack. I do so very much appreciate everyone and all your kind words and always feel free to email me if you would like to reach out or if there's something that um, needs a little more clarification and that email address is O-V-A-R-Y-A-C-T-O-R at gmail.com. If you want to share your derby story with me, please send me an email and um, I'll be happy to share that because I find the reasons that each person joins roller derby or why you chose to be an official is always unique and fun and oftentimes encouraging to others who may not yet be ready to give it a shot. So if you would email me your derby stories, that would be really fun. 
Okay, you guys, have a good one. Talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye.